Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halix. Well, this has been quite the week here in Canada. And our nation has paused. We are in mourning. We are in a state of reconciliation, or maybe the beginning stages of it. There is nothing that Luca and I felt could be more urgent to speak about and to touch base with than to take time to talk through what is possible for us to talk through from our very limited settler viewpoint and education around the 215 children's bodies that were found uh, on the former Kamloops residential school grounds in what is the, uh, now I would like to pronounce this correctly, so I will take it slow, to Kamloops to Sikwimpimik, and I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but that is the First Nations land that this school was on. And it was that, uh, that nation that had done the uh, ground penetrating radar. They paid their own funds. I believe they raised money they did it themselves. This is after many decades worth, I'm sure a decades worth of uh, petitions to the government from First Nations uh, groups requesting that residential school lands be searched for the remains of children who were lost. Um, now, to 215 youths from age three and up, probably up to 18, because that's usually the age range that was there at the residential school, were not lost to their families, were not lost to their communities. They were known to be gone, but we didn't listen. Those in power did not take time. It was not uh, considered cost-effective to ship bodies back to their families. And in many places around Canada, bodies of uh, children who died while they were under the care. I say that with a shake of my head because what kind of care was it? They were not returned to their parents. They were buried without their names even because many times their names were removed when they arrived at the school and they were given numbers. Which is so, I mean, that's such a basic human right to be called what you're called, right? To it's, it's, it's so individual. We, we um, it's sacred to, to name a child in whatever culture it is to take that identity. That's like, primary identity away from the child and then when you also take away their right to speak their mother tongue 
and their right to eat the food that that is part of their culture. Um, all of these things are a process of dehumanizing a human yes. being. And that is the basis of genocide. You make a group of people other and you take away their basic human rights and you begin to treat them as if they are not humans at all. Mm-hmm. And then anything that you do after that, you can justify because you don't regard them as being of any worth. Yeah. And, and if you don't, if you don't value the parents, then you're certainly not going to value the children. Um, and, and so this is a, it's a product, not only of, of the um, imperialist powers of the world who, who expanded around the planet and took land that wasn't theirs. They also took cultures that weren't theirs and, and everything that went with those cultures. But it's also the, um, the faith systems around the world. And there's not, you know, in this case, we're dealing with the Catholic church, but it was not, not limited. Yeah, it, it was, was not limited to them, yeah. right? But that's, you know, that's the, that's the faith system that is being associated with this um, at the moment. And we also know that the Catholic Church discriminated against many groups, um, not the least of which are their own um, quote unquote flocks. So, you know, we're, this is a, I mean, this is genocide. And genocide. we can't, I don't think we, we should sugarcoat it. I, you know, this is, this is what it is. And um, I was reading a piece um, the other day by a First Nations person who said uh, that uh, you got to call it what it is. If you're going to heal it, you have to call it what it is. Yes. And our, cult- our countries, both the United States and Canada and other countries around the world, but we're dealing with North America at the moment, are founded on this. Mm-hmm. T- taking the land and the culture and the rights away from the people who were here before us and um, and like not even sharing it with them. We just yeah. took it away mm-hmm. um, and proceeded to kill them. It's, this is, you know, that's, uh, and that's the part that I, I understand how it, how it happened. Um, and I do understand the principles of how it continued to happen, but I'm really concerned that we, that we learn from this. Right. So that we stop it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it isn't as if it got left behind when the school was closed because it, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. It's happening right now. It's, it's, it has evolved. Residential schools, the last residential school, you know what, I'm going to take a minute because I feel we put a cart before the horse here. We're, we're, we're coming yeah. because we want to talk yeah. about this. We recognize that as settlers, we're reaching out to our fellow settlers to, yeah. to, to share what it is that we've learned in the hopes that if there is anyone who's listening who, who is feeling a little at sea, and wondering how these things could come to be, uh, rather than uh, pulling on the emotional labor and energy of any First Nations uh, friends or acquaintances that you might have in your circles, that perhaps we can assist you with connecting you with some resources to get started, and perhaps with an overview. Mm. But we must begin. We must begin today by acknowledging that we currently live and reside and work and play and 
on the uh, and breathe and breathe we we exist (laughs) we occupy Mm -hmm. on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam the Tsleil-Waututh the Coquitlam and the Musqueam no Squamish thank you I'm like I think I said that one before Squamish tribes and we say this every week it is even more imperative that we say this this week because (laughs) the stories the truth about what happened is rooted in the takeover of the land, which we're still here, which, you know, the, the understanding of what does reconciliation look like? I had uh, my partner asked me that the other day. So what, what does, what, what do we do for reconciliation? And I said, there's no clear answer on that, but it has to start with an acknowledgement that we must make, we must be pursuing reconciliation. And we're finding our way through and we, and to do that, we have to, we have to, as you said, uh, and acknowledging genocide, we have to call things what they are. But they really are. Don't, don't we have whitewash to, them or yep. minimize it or, or excuse it. We have to acknowledge that this is a problem that is still happening, that the systems that created this still are in place they look different perhaps you know 100 150 years down the road but they're still here and the trauma and the the chaos that was caused by canadians religions individuals and people in power and government bodies the damage that they did to the family structures to the individual personal mental health and physical well-being of first nations peoples is devastating it will take generations in their healing if they're receiving adequate supports which they are not because we continue to fail at engaging with them so justin trudeau said on monday we are looking for how we can support indigenous communities in their grief and in their request for answers I know there will be many, many discussions to be had in the coming days and weeks about how we can best support these communities and get to the truth. We promise concrete action and that's how we'll support survivors, families and indigenous peoples. Well, until now, the government, previous government and the current government has still been fighting the victims of residential schools in courts to refuse to pay them out. They have spent more fighting the battle not to pay them than it would have cost to pay them what they'd asked for. They are so resistant to accepting the burden of responsibility, which is squarely on our shoulders. And until we do that, we cannot begin to facilitate alongside. I want to, there are brethren. We are living here together. There are our brethren. We do not treat them as our brothers and sisters. Luca, are you aware of how the residential school um, structure emerged out of the Indian Act? No. I mean, I, I think I've probably heard it somewhere along the line, but if I don't know something well enough to be able to explain it to someone else, then right. I don't have a good enough grasp on it yet. So the original Indian Act which would be good if you have never looked it up before. It's good to look up. It's been a while since I last read it. 
my understanding of it, which may not be perfect as I communicate it right now, is that the first of all, Indians were considered this was still the term that was used under the Indian Act. Please forgive me as I use the term Indian rather than First Nations as I refer to these historical um, documents and events. Um, Indians were considered a problem. The First Nations people in Canada were considered a problem for the government because of course they were on their land. We wanted the land and we wanted the resources. And so to solve, I'm using air quotes, solve the Indian problem, part of their intervention was the residential school process. And it is actually written into the Indian Act that the goal was to kill the Indian in the man. Our government made it a mandate to try to kill everything that was the culture, the, the language, the traditions, the practices, the connections even for First Nation individuals and families and communities. And it was very, it was very deliberate and it was very effective. When, when it came to residential school, the whole plot was we will remove children from their families. We will keep them at the schools. We will make it untenable for them to use their native tongue. We will. Now, this was in a punish time. Them. Punish them for using. Oh, yeah. And this was at a time when corporal punishment was big around the world still and magnified when you have the lack of honoring of humanity of the children so and no children, oversight there were no checks and balances there, there was no at accountability at least no accountability that had any sense of justice or compassion perhaps there was accountability between fellow abusing priests and nuns but they certainly weren't curtailing each other not every single nun or priest in all of the schools behaved this way, but I think we can safely say that there was at least one in every school that was a pedophile, that was sexually abusing, that was physically abusing, mentally tormenting. There are punishments for speaking your language. I read a story of a survivor the other day that was four fingernails were pulled out from her for speaking her language to fellow children in the home. There were children who were put into cages because they had not followed whatever rules there were supposed to be. There's a film that I watched many years ago that was recommended to me by First Nation friends and community to watch called We Were Children. It's available on Crave. I recommend that everybody watch that if you can find it. It's firsthand accounts of several children, various ages, and what they went through in the residential schools. There are also multiple movies out there. There are multiple books. Librarians can help you source these. If you are a settler and you would like to do your witnessing of what really happened, these are resources that will help you with that journey. It's, it's like, that's the least we yeah. can do. And I also have read a number of articles that have warned people before they read the article that the material in the article is traumatic. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you have to warn people that what's in the article is traumatic, that tells you how traumatic 
the whole thing has been for the people who have been subjected to it. So it's, you know, we, I think, I think it's hard, it's hard to do this learning because I think it's, it makes us feel guilty and ashamed and powerless, but I still think it's important to do. I had a, a conversation with someone just yesterday where um, uh, they were, they were feeling mixed feelings. They were not sure they were listening to the news and they got that this was big, that they wanted to feel more compassion about it, but they were feeling I've been through a bunch of crappy stuff in my life and I'm not on the news getting attention. Why, why such a big deal, but then feeling guilty that they were feeling that way. I responded with a, a bit of a redirect of, well, we are talking about 250 murdered children. Yeah. So just to put it in perspective, in a little perspective. Yeah. And this trauma, all of these traumas, which are profound and multi-generational, they do not mean that no one else has been harmed through our own wounds and abuses and whatever traumas we have had in our families. And it does not mean that those do not also deserve to be witnessed and to have airtime. We're not in a competition and we need to create a society where there is not a scarcity mentality around compassion, where we're going to give all our compassion over here because it merits it more. That's it, not about this. Uh, we need to make it not be about that. But there may be about timing. Right now, this is, this is a wound that has been festering, that has been laying buried underground for decades. It is time for unearthing. And just as there may be time for each of us as individuals or within our family where something cracks open and we must face the traumas and the wounds of what has happened in our past, this is that time right now for First Nations. And yes, I think we do well and appropriately to give the platform and time to them. And we did not... When the, uh, the, the youths from Humboldt were tragically killed in that truck accident a year or two years ago, the country stopped and mourned with the families. It was, such a, it was a tragedy. We did not, I don't believe, perhaps there were some individuals, we did not consider those families to be attention-seeking by the fact that it was in the news. It was a community grieving event. This is a community countrywide grieving event yeah because there were residential schools all across the country this is just one and who knows what happened whether there's anything buried in the schoolyards of all those other residential there schools. there is bottom line there is yeah, there, there, absolutely must, is. yeah. there absolutely is yeah and so it's just a question of how big of an iceberg is this the tip of mm. so it's families were not given an option the RCMP was empowered to go and remove the children from the family's homes, even with no notice. So maybe they may, some of them were given notice, not that they would have wanted to send their children to this. There's, there's letters coming out now that show that uh, families were, were 
given perhaps sometimes an opportunity to, to bring them home for Christmas and that's it. And like, that would be the only, the only time these children were, were, were removed from their families, you know, and it's like a full stop. Like their child, their childhood was then spent in the residential home. They well, were as not prisoners of war, they would have been treated yeah. better. They would have at least had some rights. Yeah, there was no, right. there was no convention around their, around their rights when they got into the, into these so-called schools, which were really indoctrination centers. <sighs> and what, what happens when you have a vulnerable group of people in an isolated environment with a lack of oversight and accountability and a big power disparity between the yes, people in a charge? patriarchal yep. power system that we now recognize as having been abusive at that time. Yeah. Well, frankly, it's all it's, across society, never mind just in those case. residential schools. I'm actually phrasing it this way because this this is basically a tenet of humanity. If you've yeah. got these elements put together, yep. you will have abuse. Yes. Power disparity, isolation, lack of accountability, a vulnerable people with no voice. Mm -hmm. You will have people who want to have prey yep. find themselves into the positions of power so that they can have free access to victims. Any of those patriarchal systems, right? And it, and it doesn't matter if you're male or female within those systems. And, if, and we were talking earlier about who knew about this, who maybe wasn't perpetrating it, but uh, knew about it. If you're within a system like that and you wanna blow the whistle on it or stop it, how much power do you have to do that within that kind of abusive um, uh, structure? Where there's such a power disparity, right? We can witness this within uh, the um, the information that's been coming out regarding the Catholic Church and the abuse of children that has happened for yeah. decades and centuries, uh, which they're reluctantly starting to own up. This is the same structure that was existing in the residential schools yeah. with even more vulnerable children who, who were, had, had their names removed, whose parents were never able to come and even see them. Can you imagine the impunity and the lack of, yeah. of, of interest in pursuing any kind of justice for the children? It is no wonder that so many children mm -hmm. were, they'd say it's between 80 and 90% of children were sexually abused. This is boys and girls. And, and a vast majority, I believe it was actually 100%, were physically abused, at least through beatings, yeah. and corporal oh, cutting, sure. right? Yeah. yeah. They were run experiments on. This is pre-Nazi war. We yeah. were doing scientific experiments on mm -hmm. the children in residential schools. They used them as science experiments for malnutrition, what happens if we don't feed them milk for two years? Yeah. Let's get a baseline from that. And then let's reintroduce it to these children and not these children. Let's give these ones vitamins and let's not give, they were experimenting on children. So for 79 years. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I, when I saw the dates on this. And that was just the Kamlik school, right? Yes. That's just that school. And I mean, schools in Eastern Canada would have gone on for longer than that because the, the um, 
the, the settlers came there earlier for other people's trauma. Mm-hmm. I think something very important we also need to take action on is to exercise the power that we do have, the power and privilege and influence to call for justice and to, to reach out to our MPs, our MPPs to write a letter to Justin Trudeau and to, to request, to demand not only that all of the residential schools be searched, This is an accounting, right? This is the next level of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that we have engaged with, which the government refused to fund, by the way, to go and look for these bodies. But we need to we need to do that. That onus should be on the government and on our taxes. Like that's that's a that's a restoration reparation issue. But there are still First Nation communities without safe drinking water. Yes, there are insufficient mental health supports that are under the direction of first nation communities who know their path to healing best better than we could dictate that for them it's not appropriate for us they have ways we actually can learn from their ways (laughs) but first we must empower them along their paths and so yes we we must be in charge of our healing and, and the fact that we will be triggered. Sure. We will be triggered. We will feel grief. It's not even we'll, if we'll be, we yeah, will be triggered. We will. Trauma triggers trauma. Yeah. And you know, when you were describing the creation point of this trauma through the residential schools and you were, you know, referencing the people who were oh, these evil souls who would, you know, exploit these people under them and how did that ripple effect go down through their families well i'm also thinking if we the the origin of this trauma the creation of this trauma it will be felt by all of us once we are finally whole enough as a nation to acknowledge that we are interconnected and this trauma impacts all of us all of us and we must and the land this land there there was a there was a lovely poem that i read yesterday um, by and I, I believe it was written by um, a First Nations woman in yeah. Washington State. I've got it here. If you'd like me to uh, read it out loud, oh, that would be fantastic. So this is by Abigail Echo Hawk. When they buried the children, what they didn't know, they were lovingly embraced by the land, held and cradled, cradled in a mother's heart. The trees wept for them with the wind. They sang morning songs their mothers didn't know to sing, bending branches to touch the earth around them. The creator cried for them, the tears falling like rain. Mother Earth held them until they could be found. Now our voices sing the morning songs with the wind, the trees, light the sacred fire, ensure they are never forgotten as we sing justice. I mean, the land, the land is a living thing as well. And we, not only do we disrespect people, but we disrespect the land as well. And I think one of the things that First Nations people to have to share with us is the, is the respect for the land. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm learning a lot about um, in terms of energy work is that there are scars upon the land as well as in the people. Mm-hmm. 
where great um, uh, acts of violence have been done to the peoples who lived on the land, the land holds it. So not only does the land heal, but it also holds the memory of that of that energy. And I'm I'm kind of figuring out as I go along because I can feel this in the land. I haven't figured out what to do with it yet, but I can feel it. And I remember when I was living in Scotland, I went to um, the uh, the scene of a great bloodbath that was perpetrated by the British on the Scots. It's, uh, the the battlefield is called Culloden, and I could. I, I traveled around the perimeter of that field and I could feel it, but I, I could feel that overlay of that evil act on the land, but I could also feel the health of the land underneath it. There's a, there's an inherent healing power in the earth. And I don't have really the language to even describe that because our culture doesn't respect it. So we don't have language for it. But I believe that that our poets are the ones, just like um, what, what you just read to us, our poets are the ones who are finding the language and, and crafting it so that we can use it to connect with um, the healing power of the land. This is so big and so deep that yeah. I personally, when I was praying around this I was on rock and earth when I was in a location when I was praying for this and I sought to send love and light and healing through my touch in the earth to the communities in grief and I it was so big that I felt completely overwhelmed and felt that I heard through the ground, this is, this is mine to convert. Mm -hmm. This is impossible. It's a bit like a child who breaks your favorite something mm -hmm. and the child can't fix it. Mm -hmm. We broke this, mm -hmm. but we can't fix this. This has to be fixed by something greater than us. And fixed is not the right word. Because and, a, and a surrendering to respect for the fact that there is something greater than us that oversees us all, that this is not just something greater than me as a, as a white settler, but, but there's something greater than all of us and it so, unites us. That I think is a really, I, re, I recognized, uh, I, sorry, I, I saw a post yesterday where an individual was acknowledging that First Nations communities and spiritual practice is a connection with the divine. And a First Nation individual responded saying, thank you for saying that because this is why residential schools existed was they did not believe that we had a connection with God, that it was invalid, that we were aiming, you know, and that was, this was part of their retraining yeah. It is essential for us to recognize that we denied their mm -hmm. position and their connection with that. And, yeah, not just their humanity, but their spirituality also. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, let's let's play a song. <laughs> we need to play a song. It's I've got a, a couple of songs for here. A song. 
Yeah. I have a couple of songs here. The first one I'd like to play is by Nahiyawak. It's called Open Window. This is a song that was written about um, residential schools. So we'll start with Nahiyawak called Open Window. We'll be back in just a few minutes. window welcome back to essential conversations with rebecca and luca we are talking today we're finding our way through a most devastating topic that is so profoundly impactful on this country uh, uh, that is brought to a head 
at this moment through the discovery of the 215 children's bodies uh, on the former Kamloops residential school grounds. Um, I've already spoken about the nature of the kinds of abuse and interactions that happened in the school and the function of those to strip the children of the identity. I'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that this was not one generation. This was not a group of children that went and had this done to them. This was over the span that residential schools existed. There were multiple generations within the same communities who had their children taken. So imagine this, you, you, are, you grow up in a residential school completely devoid of any caring and any nurturance, divorced from your language, divorced from your culture. You graduate, I'm using air quotes here, when you, when you are of age, they send you away or back to your community or maybe they gave you a job and something else. If you have a family, you have no idea how to be a parent because you have not been parented. Or how to be a family member. Nope. Period. No idea. You've not witnessed parenthood. And so now you are stumbling through giving birth to children, but then those children are removed and taken to residential school. This happens for multiple generations. Imagine the disruption in just one generation, right? But now let's say we're on the other side. Residential schools have closed down. Hooray, we've learned from our mistake. Now everyone is, is happy, right? No, now we've, we've got generations of people all, all different ages who don't, who have lost their connection with how to lovingly and nurturingly parent with resources, which many First Nations on their reserves where they were locked in and not, you know, they were not even given passes to leave, only at the discretion of the agent, whoever it was, a government agent. And this is where the fabric of the communities is effectively undone by what we did. This was how they killed the Indian. This was how our government, this was how our religious institutions and our individuals, because this was not just done by some system. These were people. These mm -hmm. were our ancestors who did this. They undid the fabric of these nations. Yeah. And thinking that if they, if they undid that culture and, um, and, uh, infused these kids with a different culture that those children, despite the trauma, would come out of that residential school system and be functional members of society at large, never mind going back to their own communities. So they didn't really want them to go back to their own communities, but they didn't want them in the, in the non-First Nations communities either. So now these are displaced people who associate learning with abuse, who, whose spiritual system was, was annihilated and then replaced with a spiritual system that abused them. So now they associate that spiritual system with abuse. Mm -hmm. So what, what have they got and what kind of education did they get? So what have they got left now? And then, as you said, we, they, if they find their way back to their own communities, how, how good are they at parenting? And, and then we re-traumatize them by taking their children away. Yeah. So they're already traumatized. Now we traumatize them again. And if they don't go back to their communities and we have them in our society, we have no place for them. 
And if they use whatever coping mechanisms are available to them, then we, we, um, we label them and we punish them for the systems they used in order to try and cope. And we judge them. And we judge them. We judge and them. We, we judge them isolate them. them. And then we incarcerate them. So they're, so now they go, yep. there's a disproportionate number of First Nations people in our, in our prison systems compared to how many of them there are in our communities. They are disproportionately represented in our prisons. So there's got to be a reason for that. They're not bad people. Nope. And the foster system in Canada has become yeah. an evolutionary arm, you could say, of what the residential yeah. schools the residential are. schools. Yeah. And Nothing. again, without enough oversight, because oh, we it's funded horrible. the oversight. Yeah. The, the, the percentage of children that are in foster care that are of First Nations background compared to non-First Nations background is way out of proportion. Yeah. It's just another way in which we take children from their families now. And why? We do it because the families are struggling to cope because of generations of devastating patriarchal colonial interventions to strip them of their identities and their culture and their connections and their, their, all of their supports, their traditional supports. Yeah. It's abhorrent. So this is, it's, it's mind breaking. It's heartbreaking to say the least. And it is consistent throughout human history. I started watching this show yesterday called Exterminate All the Brutes. This wonderfully written show, which is meant to take an, an eagle eye view across history and showing the roots of colonialism, the roots of white supremacy, and how deep it goes. And all of these things are connected to that. And really, it all goes back to Christianity. It goes back to the Crusades. It goes back to a you are less than us because you do not follow this faith. Therefore, we have no need to respect your humanity. That we are following what is righteous and just by intervening in your life because you are not like me. And that and justifies I, anything that comes after it. It justifies anything. anything. And we did that too. We did it alongside a lot of the world. It is still happening today because we still draw these lines where we say, you're not good enough. You're not believing the same things. You're not like me. And therefore you are to be feared or you are to be cut down. Yeah. It's the us and other. We see it. It's very similar with what yeah. the outrage that we've had over the last couple of years because of the children that were taken from their families in the Southern border and mm -hmm. kept in cages, not very different, yep. same as essential thing because they're from immigrant families. They're not like us. They're not mm -hmm. as good. They're not what we want. And we need to have no regard for their health and safety as humans and as individuals and as a community. I'm pretty sick of humanity right now, I have to say. But at the same time, I know there is no way to get to the other side of this if we don't look at it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It has to come out. 
it's the lancing of the boils, right? You cannot heal them until you lance them and you take a look at how much infection there is. And uh, so this is the beginning. This is the beginning. And I think this is, um, this process of uncovering is the, um, is the ugliest because now we have to really look at it and acknowledge it. And yeah. until we acknowledge it, we, we can't do anything about it. Yeah. So what do we do? Let's, we've what got we about 10 minutes left. Yeah. Actually, we more than that, but that's how much we have for, for talking. Uh, let before we before we dive into that, let's listen to another song. This one is called "The Stranger." It's by mm -hmm. Gord Downey, who was from the Tragically Hip. Now, there's a little story around this because this song is actually from Chapter One of a book that Gord Downey wrote that was about Cheney Wenjack, who is one of the residential school children who tried to escape he tried to travel 600 i don't know if it was miles or kilometers to get to his family and he did not survive the journey but cheney is representative of thousands of children who sought to return to their families and were willing to do anything to escape the horrors that they were in and to get back to somewhere safe so this is the stranger by gord downey we'll be back in just a few minutes Doesn't even drink 
secret path The one that nobody knows And I'm moving fast On the path nobody knows I'm a stranger Welcome back to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. We were just listening to The Stranger by Gord Downey. We've been talking today about residential schools, about the find, the horrific find of 215 bodies under the Kamloops residential school grounds, which is, we believe, the tip of the iceberg. If we were to go, which I hope we will, to search all of the residential schools to give these souls rest, to return them to their communities. And we're talking now about what can we do? Now we're taking a lens on this as settlers because this is who we are. So let's be honest about where we're at. This is most likely place for us to be able to provide support is to fellow settlers. What can we do folks that can start to make this better? That can start the road, the path towards reconciliation. So Luca, you mentioned earlier about attending to our own traumas. Yeah, I, I read over and over again that um, it is it it is disrespectful uh, to go back to First Nations people and ask them what we can do for them. Yes, so um, that's, that's but true. it's also disrespectful to assume that we know what is best for them to help, oh. to help them to heal Gosh, to help yeah. them to heal. Like I think we've done enough to them. So I think part of our big part of our process right now is to listen if they want to talk and to not 
fight with them about in the interpretation of or correctness of or anything to do with what they're telling us. Right. We should just listen. Just listen. And just believe them. Listen. And believe them yeah. when they share their I'm story. And frankly, you may find your mind stretched to believe them because they're so freaking horrific. That doesn't mean it's not true. We have been appalled all through history at things that the Nazis have done, at things that have happened under, you know, that are still happening around the world. This happened. It happened here. Yes, things were horrible. They happened. We can educate ourselves through reading books, can watch films. Um, and yes, as you referred to, don't ask or expect Indigenous people to educate you to do the emotional work or to make you feel better. If you're feeling guilt or shame, which is an understandable emotion for us to feel when we real when we really start to tune into this happened here, we may feel guilt and shame. It is shameful. And hopelessness. Right? Yes. Yes. It is a shameful thing. We've often said on our show, guilt and shame are not necessarily helpful emotions, though. That's not where our assistance is going to come from. So the guilt and shame, in a way, need to be best put up on a shelf, replaced with humility. Humility is really important. Yeah, and also our acknowledgement of where we have power. Because yes. guilt and shame are dis and hopelessness. They're all disempowering. And if I don't stand in my power to be able to affect the outcome of this then how am I going to be able to empower anybody else? Yeah. So, so I think I have to own the privilege that I have and the power that I have and start working from that place yeah. um, and not shutting down what somebody else is trying to say, express, is a place of power and, and being able to hold a space for someone to express themselves is a position of power. And then what can, what else can we do from there? One of the things that we can do, you and I, is, is something that we've already been engaging in and we will continue to engage in, which is um, to listen to the voices of people who are First Nations. Mm -hmm. and, and, and even to take a look around our lives, do, do we know? anyone that is First Nations? Do I know anyone that is First Nations? Do I have a friendship and a relationship with them? Not a token one. But yes. if I don't, why is that? Is that because I don't go anywhere where they might be? Do I have I just felt, you know, whatever to examine that, mm -hmm. and to recognize that in community, what I what limited things that I know I have learned through community with First Nations folk, who graciously educated me slowly over time without me just showing up and saying, blah, blah, blah. you know, one of the things that can be done is a uh, hiring of, um, of an education person. So we've had somebody on our show, Rhiannon Bennett and hummingbird mm -hmm. hummingbird consulting. She mm -hmm. and her business partner, they can go into businesses and organizations or groups of friends that want to learn and they have a presentation and they will walk you through a lot of the facts in the history and this by by spending money on someone who is first nations who is indigenous who is doing this labor of educating and who's prepared who is emotionally yes. prepared yes. to share it with us yes yes and and if you're wanting to support first nation and indigenous art and culture 
to go to the resources that are actually First Nation or Indigenous, not just the Indigenous designs that are on coffee cups at Superstore or whatever. Like that's not going to, unless you see a tag that's actually indicating a, a First Nation artist, <laughs> yeah. like do yeah. some careful thought where if it's great to want to support them, but make sure you're actually supporting someone Indigenous and not someone who's appropriating designs because it's cool. Because the most insulting thing that I think we've done over the last couple of decades is in the light of this history with residential schools and the robbing and separating and trashing of the culture and the language. And now we're like, hey, that's cool. I'll wear a headdress. I'll copy these designs and a tattoo on my body. Can you imagine what salt in the wound that must be? Oh my goodness. It is so not her place. It's so not her place. This is why the phrase cultural appropriation exists. Well, and I think also it, it, it has to do with how are we doing it? Like if, if we have a First Nations friend who makes jewelry and gives us a piece of jewelry that they have made that has um, some of their cultural symbols on it and it's given to us with love. Absolutely. I think that we should honor it and respect it and wear it in love. But that's very different than, you know, buying something uh, that is, has something on it that, that we think represents reconciliation. And then that's all we do. We're not educating ourselves at the yeah. same time. So I think that this is multifaceted. It is. And write your MPs. I'm, this is happening now. There are template letters available online. We'll, we'll tweet something out so that you can have a link to that. Write. It's time to write. It's time to request. It's time to request intervention and money and funding to go. And we've run out of time. There we go. So. And we will continue to revisit this. This is yeah. not, this is an ongoing process for us. We expect that it is for you too. Yeah. And if you have resources, send them to us. We're happy to share them with our listeners. Yes. Until next time. <laughs> we wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahalex.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Oh, ah, 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 Happy, 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 happy. Boing, 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 boing,